You're listening to The Weekly, a production of WOBC 91.5 FM. I'm your host, Sarah Dugleish, and I'm joined by my co-host, Johan Kavert. We're very pleased to be talking with two students who are members of Sunrise Oberlin and spoke at the September 20th Climate Strike and Rally in Tappan Square. Thank you, Faith Ward and Anna Silverman, for coming on The Weekly. Yeah, thank you for having us. It's good to be here. Great. Um, so the first thing that we wanted to ask you all about is just um, generally what happened on Friday with the climate strike, what was the lead up to planning that, and how did the actual event go? Okay. Um, so on Friday, Overland had its very first climate strike. This was um, in coordination with the global climate strikes that were taking place on September 20th. Um, in terms of planning, we basically we got back to campus um, beginning of the month and started planning immediately. Yeah, we kind of had to hit the ground running because our we all got back to campus and then we all like had our first meeting, I think like a couple days after we got back and decided like we just had to like go and do as much outreach as we could, get our social media up and running again, reach out to as many like people in the town as well as students and just try our best to like ha make everyone know about it and make it a thing. and. I think we did a pretty good job of that. <laughs> yeah, I I think I think we did too. Right now, our estimates for attendance are around 600. I want to say um, it's kind of hard to know because we don't have a solid way to estimate except for just like looking at the crowd. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I think it went pretty well. I've, we've gotten good feedback from the people who attended, so I'm happy with it. Yeah, I think for especially the amount of time that we left ourselves for, I think it went pretty smoothly. And it's good. <laughs> um, and part of the climate strike, if I'm not mistaken, was also teach-ins afterwards. Could you talk a little bit about those as well? Yeah, well, we had three different teach-ins that repeated, one right after the climate strike, one a couple hours later. And one of them was on environmental justice, led by our two great Sunrise members, Foodie and Rachel. And it was basically talking about like environmental racism and inequalities that come with environmental like climate change and stuff which is like a huge part of Sunrise's like message and goals to stop so we thought it was an important one to have and then we had one on environmental activism that one. Um, that one I think was led by Mitch and Jess who are also members of Sunrise. Jess is also a member of um, Oberlin Citizens Climate Lobby um, which is kind of one of our partner organizations so uh, I thought they just talked about um, different strategies in terms of environmental activism, that sort of thing. Yeah, and then we also had one on the Green New Deal, which was like one of our demands in the climate strike, and Sunrise, the organization we're a part of, is like their main thing to push the Green New Deal, so it was a more in-depth uh, description of what it was and what it's about and why it's good and things like that. You, you mentioned that you had um, gotten some feedback about the event. Would you mind elaborating on what people thought about it, what you've heard from other folks and your collaborators? Yeah, um, so just on a level of organization, like within the org we had, um, we had some issues with sound because we got the gear from the gear co-op and their PAs, their like main PAs were actually broken so we had to borrow um, someone named Maggie, we had to borrow her PAs, um, which are just personal ones. Um, that was the main issue we had with the thing itself. Um, we also had some people who I think didn't know that we had like kind of accessible seating set up at the front. 
Um, for me, actually, like the main feedback I heard was just about my speech, um, less of, less than about the whole event. Yeah, pretty similar for me uh, about the speeches. I think everyone enjoyed all the speeches and all the speakers, including Faith and all the other people who aren't here, were really good. But I think in general there was it was just I feel like the vibe at the rally was very positive and uplifting, which especially in environmental activism is kind of hard to have sometimes because it's very grim, the the outcome if you don't succeed, really. So I think having sort of a big gathering that's mostly positive and inspiring was what people took from it the most. I, I'm interested. I, I went to a little bit of the event. I wasn't able to make it to the whole thing, unfortunately, but I was really impressed. Um, and I, I, I was able to hear your speech, Faith, you sort of let off the, the whole um, event what, what did it mean to you to speak and how did you sort of prepare for that moment? I thought it was like really powerful and, and really inspirational. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so for me, I was opening it and I'm seeing it um, and there were some things that I just needed to cover just in terms of like the basics. But um, for me, it was important to speak because I do have a lot of like personal stories related to climate change. My um, my abuelo, my grandfather on my mom's side was, um, he was an environmentalist um, in Costa Rica for a very long time. Um, I have family in South Africa who had issues with the drought in Cape Town, as well as I'm from South Florida, so that's, you know, it's a frontline community. Um, so climate change is something that is very personal for me. Um, so for me, it was important to be able to speak, to be able to share that perspective and, um, you know, because we are in Ohio, but there's so much more to it, and it's such a global issue to put those things into perspective. Um, and also, just anytime I'm doing these things, it is um, just on a very personal level for, for me a way to honor uh, my abuelo. And that's at the end of the speech, I wrapped up with a story my mom always told me about him. Um, and I did, I got, I cried. <laughs> um, but that's something that I you know, was getting feedback on is that people really felt it and it's something that's important to me just to be emotionally vulnerable about these things because climate change is not just politics, it is very personal. So you mentioned earlier that um, part of the event was that you had a list of demands. Could you go a little bit more into uh, a conversation about what those demands involved? Yeah, basically uh, one of our demands was to get politicians and people to pass, like, accept the Green New Deal and push it forward in Congress, which the Green New Deal, in a really short summary, is basically just a huge economic mobilization plan from the government that would create a bunch of, like, millions of new jobs, as well as cut our carbon emissions by 2030, which is the time limit, basically, that you and scientists have given us, which is 11 years. And it's just supposed to create a, a bunch of different jobs, but all like sustainable ones, including creating sustainable infrastructure and just pushing America away from our like unsustainable practices before it's too late to. And it's really just the first sort of resolution that, have, that has come up of this like caliber that can actually address climate change. So that was one of our demands. Yeah, um, of the other demands we had um, respecting indigenous sovereignty, um, environmental justice for marginalized communities, um, 
protecting biodiversity and sustainable agriculture. So these are the demands agreed upon kind of by the um, national within the U.S. the national climate striking alliance that was kind of going on between different organizations. Um, and so the thing about the rest of those demands is they, they all kind of fall under the Green New Deal. Um, and that's why it's something that Sunrises pushes for so heavily because everything else can kind of be enveloped in that. I know a, a lot of people um, have sort of like covered covered the event and the, the strike um, and I think it got like a lot of media attention, a lot of focus on campus. There were like signs all over and um, huge turnout. What, what are the ways that Sunrise is, is sort of hoping to capitalize on all this momentum and sort of make it um, make tangible like progress in Oberlin and on campus? Yeah, well, our first upcoming event that we're hoping people will be excited about is October 6th. We're having a training on environmental activism. So it's basically like if you went to the strike, you're energized by it, you want to get more involved, which was a lot of the feedback we heard. This is like a training on ways to organize. So we're really trying to push as many people to come as that, who are interested in this as possible. And we're hoping the strike gave us some good momentum to be able to get people out there. Yeah, um, as well, tomorrow there's actually an event taking place in Wilder Bowl from 2 p.m. to uh, 6 p.m. Um, that's basically being organized by a lot of the other uh, environmental organizations on campus, like SEDGE, Students for Energy Justice, um, Oberlin Citizens Climate Lobby. Um, and so for people that are interested and are still energized from the strike, um, at that event, there's going to be a bunch of different organizations. So whatever your flavor of environmentalism is, you'll be able to do something. Um, yeah. yeah, and sort of more long-term goals, we really want, as a club, to build more coalitions with, like, not just student body clubs, but also organizations in town around us and labor unions, because those coalitions are really important to create, because they're all people who are going to be affected by the Green New Deal, and we just want to build those bonds, especially with our local community. And then a little longer-term goals, we want to uh, put more pressure on Sherrod Brown, maybe do some sort of demonstration or something involving him. We're still working out the details, but we're hoping to build some strong bonds before we do that. That's great. Yeah. Keep, keep your uh, ears peeled, Sherrod. Um, so something else we've mentioned several times is that you're both involved with the Sunrise Movement, uh, but I think it'd be helpful to talk a little bit about the background of the movement and uh, talk also about how it operates on Oberlin campus. Also, maybe how you, how you personally like came to be involved in Sunrise and, and chose Sunrise like over other environmental orgs on campus. Yeah, well... The origin of Sunrise, it's actually a pretty new organization. I think it was started, what, last year about? Yeah, about a year ago. And it was basically like after the UN released that report on the effects of climate change and how we have 11 year or 12 years, I guess, back then to fully address it. Otherwise, the changes are going to be uh, irreversible. That's when like a lot of different orgs and stuff started getting started up. And then the introduction of the Green New Deal really, like, energized people, and that's when, like, Sunrise was created. And now there's, like, hubs all over the country. Like, I think it's at least doubled since we started it here last year, like, of the amount of hubs all over the country. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, so on campus, we got started last semester 
Um, we actually managed to get a lot done last semester. We managed to get about 30 people to Sherrod's Brown, Brown's office in Cleveland, um, where we spoke with one of his, his office manager. Um, we're good? Okay. We spoke with his, um, I think this is the office manager, we spoke with one of his advisors um, about the Green New Deal and what we were asking for. Um, and then we are also able in May to host a town hall for the Green New Deal, um, which also got really good turnout. We had around 80 or 90 people come to that. Um, and a lot of them were townspeople, which is really the people we were trying to reach, especially um, given the divide between the college and the town. So we, we were able to get a lot of people to that, um, which was very exciting. Um, so that's sort of what we've been doing. We're currently working on like restructuring. Um, so the structure of the group itself is going to change, but uh, we try to be as democratic as possible and um, really just our focus right now is the Green New Deal and that's kind of what we're going to continue focusing on. Um, in terms of like how we both got involved, uh, for me, last December um, we have a mutual friend, Dan Kennedy, and um, basically Sunrise had a big lobbying day in DC in December. Um, and they were having people come in from all over the country and Dan basically said like, hey, do you want a road trip with me to DC? And I was like, I don't think I have time for that. He was like, okay, I know you're saying that now and I respect your decision, but I'm pretty sure you're gonna change your mind. And so I did. Um, so then I drove with him to Washington DC and with a few other people and um, we did lobbying there. We protested, it was a good day, it was exciting. Our friend got arrested, which was kind of bothersome. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so that's how I got involved, and then after that, once we got back to campus, we were like, okay, let's, you know, Dan wanted to start up a Sunrise Hub, and it happened, and now here we are. Yeah, my involvement, a little less dramatic than Faith's, but it also involves this guy, Dan, who is, like, the most persuasive person you'll ever meet, so I think a lot of people's backstories on how they got involved at Sunrise from in Overland was due to this guy, Dan, <laughs> but anyway, we were friends, and he was like, I'm starting this club. And he's like, come to the first meeting. So I was like, okay, I guess. And I didn't really know much about it at all. Like, I wasn't even really involved in climate environmental activism before this. But then, like, as I started going to more meetings and, like, going to Sherrod Brown's office, helping out organizing certain events, like, I just really got into it. And I think definitely the thing that really, this was later in the year, but the thing that really, like, changed something for me where I would decide that I really wanted to get involved was a couple Sunrise members, or like Sunrise itself was invited to an environmental conference conference in Kenyan. So a couple of the members went and it was basically a whole conference about intersectionality and the environmental movement and like basically about uh, frontline communities and how climate change affects minorities and stuff like that. And that's when I was really just like, wow, I, I think it really put in context for me how important this was for, like, me and people I care about and how close it hits. And that's when I started really increasing my involvement in Sunrise, I think. So, yeah. Yeah. Good, good origin story. Yeah. <laughs> Both, like, trips, expeditions we have made with Dan. <laughs> so. I think that, that really gives a lot more sort of like worth to what you're doing and that it's not just another club on campus but it's really engaged with 
other things that you're, you're passionate about. I'm, I'm curious, um, you talked about sort of trying to engage like community groups and other um, coalitions like in the Berlin town, like more generally and across campus that might not necessarily be associated with environmentalism, which is really interesting. I'm a member of the Green Edge Fund and so we're like constantly trying to do outreach and like get people engaged um, and have people realize that like environmental projects are not even are, are, are for you maybe even if you don't realize that you're an environmentalist. Um, what's your sort of like vision with that and um, uh, other examples of ways you've done that? Maybe even thinking about like collaborating with the high schoolers. Yeah. Um, so a lot of it has been like literally just kind of going our way out of our way to flyer in different places, um, you know, making the first step and reaching out to people. And I think, um, for a long time, I feel like the environmental movement, because so much of it was just focused on like, oh, we have to save trees, um, as opposed to we have to save people. Uh, I think when people kind of see the shift that has changed in that, in the rhetoric and the way it's now framed as environmental justice and like the fact that like racial justice, gender justice, all these things are encompassed in environmental justice, I think is very good for bringing people in because we all have something at stake and for a lot of people um and this is for me yeah I got involved um a little before everything with Dan but for me it's kind of seeing like okay there's I care about all these issues I don't have time to work on all these issues but I can do this one and that can help solve a lot of problems um so I think that framing has been very important in doing that um and in terms of the high schoolers that um, one of their teachers actually, the teacher who runs their sustainability club actually reached out to us and um, mentioned like, hey, we have our sustainability club here if you guys ever want to partner. Um, and so we actually, you know, went out of our way on Wednesdays after school for them to go to their meetings and talk to them. Um, I think a lot of it is just, you know, moving beyond campus. Yeah, and the high schoolers have been really great in like kind of like creating a bottom of sunrise we have some, uh, one particular person, Sasha, who is the president of the sustainability club at the high school. She's like came to sunrise meetings. She gave a really amazing speech at the rally. And we, we just, we like to like get involved in each other's lives because they pretty much overlap, especially because we're both sort of focusing on Oberlin as well as a national sort of deal. Yeah. The high schoolers are definitely they were very cool. Yeah, like, much cooler than I was in high school, so it's some, very interesting to see. Yeah, someone asked me um, as we were working on it, they asked if it was stressful coordinating with them, and honestly, working with the high schoolers was the easiest part yeah. of it because they were so competent. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right, hope, hope for the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think with that, um, something that was really significant about this climate strike on a global scale and a lot of recent climate activism is that it's been youth-led, um, which Sunrise obviously is another example of um, growing youth activism around this. Why do you think that that is becoming not necessarily bigger right now, but why is youth activism suddenly receiving so much attention, whereas even a few years ago it, it maybe wasn't taken as seriously? Um, for me personally, so I got started in the gun control movement um, in terms of started with activism. Um, I live 20 minutes south of Parkland, and I think, um, at least for me, all of that, I honestly think Parkland had so much to do with it in terms of that shooting and how March for Our Lives was able to mobilize people. Um, 
And I think after that, you definitely had a lot of people, like, seeing that and saying, like, oh, wow, I can do something. And um, there were a lot of groups that had put the framework in place ahead of time um, because there were a lot of people who were already doing that work, um, including young people who were already doing that work. But I think for the majority of young people and people who wanted to get involved, seeing the Parkland kids become, an, like, get on the national stage and actually mobilize millions of people um, served as an example and a way to see, like, okay, I can do this too, not just for gun control, but for whatever youth-led movements need to happen. Yeah, I also think this is such a youth-led movement is, like, it's so, it's kind of our problem in a way, like an immediate problem, because this is the world we're growing up in, whereas I think older generations may not feel that sense of urgency and of anything, like, panic behind it, I think. So it really, like, it feels like a problem that we are going to be the adults in at some point, you know? So I think it that definitely contributes to it. Yeah, I think that's that's really well said. And thinking back on sort of my own high school experience, like, I was involved with the youth environmental activists of Minnesota and went to the 2015 climate march in New York, and that was really, like, powerful in the sense of, like, people power more generally, I think, whereas Sunrise strikes me as, like, being about, like, young people, um, and using sort of, like, the power of, like, betting on the future as, like, a, a super important message. Um, yeah. So I think it's, 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 like you said, it's, it's really interesting how even in, like, a couple of years or a couple of, like, events with Parkland that that's sort of really reframed where things are going. One question related to that is um, the aspect of sort of like climate strikes and taking time away from like education and school and dedicating it towards activism. I think it's like a really interesting interchange. And actually the um, article that the Oberlin Review wrote in their editorial sort of um, about it referenced how in the 60s um, students at Oberlin had gone to do sort of like civil rights organizing and things like that. And actually there's a quote, it says, um, during the civil rights movement of the 1960s, several Oberlin students took time off of their regular classes to travel to the South, organize for social justice and report back to the review from the front lines. In a new moment of intense moral urgency, we are happy to see the beginnings of this flame being rekindled with respect to the fight against climate change and for a just and sustainable future. Um, so I think like thinking about that and then thinking also about the aftermath of like Black Lives Matter and students, um, you know, went went down to Ferguson and like skipped finals or midterms or whatever it was. Um, how how do you think like the role or like the importance of sacrificing like education and class for activism relates to what you do? Yeah, I think maybe sacrificing isn't the way I would frame it. Yeah. As in like. Totally. I think it's just a different sort of educational experience, which isn't the only part of it, but it, like, it, I think leaving behind a certain form of education to do hands-on work, like, I think the whole point that a lot of us are in college and high school and just do schooling is to, so we go into society and make it a better place. I think that's, especially here at Oberlin, like, what a lot of people come here to learn about, and I think doing things like that is the one of the best ways to do that and it just kind of it's like 
it feels like it's at the top of our like importance I guess to mobilize and organize and try to make real effective change yeah that was I hadn't even thought about it like that that was your mind um <laughs> yeah I think a, one way it's also been framed especially by like, the European climate strikers has been like why should we be in school learning these things that you want us to learn if you're not working on guaranteeing us a future where we can actually apply these lessons um so I think there's power in that as well and that like why should we be doing these things if it's all insecure? Um, but honestly, I think, Anna, you covered it. <laughs> yeah, and also, like, the strike was for working people, too, like, not just students. And I think another uh, sort of message that people, organizers and people participating wanted to get across in the strike is that we can cause, like, social disruption and we can stop everything we're doing because we want something to be done. Like, jobs were left, schools were empty, like, we, we have the power to work together and stop things so that real things can start happening. I think also, as you, Anna, mentioned and Johan mentioned, um, activism and education at Oberlin are very much hand-in-hand, hand, and people are maybe more accepting here of that idea than other places. Um, so I was wondering about your experience um, with Sunrise and whether you think that being at Oberlin and being attached to um, the institution of Oberlin College, but also activism in town has affected um, how Sunrise is able to work. And if like comparing to other places or other chapters, um, you find that being in Oberlin has changed how activism works. Yeah, um, so for me, I've done organizing here in Oberlin as well as organizing back home in Florida. Um, and it's definitely a lot easier to get people to turn out to things in Oberlin because there is such a strong culture of like, you know, being willing to go protest, being down for social justice. Um, so I think it is a lot easier to convince people to show up to a protest here. Um, whereas for me in Florida, like, there have been events, for example, I helped plan a summit in July with an organization called Zero Hour, um, which is a different youth-led climate organization. And we spent like five months planning that and um, our outreach, you know, definitely could have been stronger. But even after months of planning that in Miami, it was so much harder to get people to turn out. We had a higher turnout here at the strike in Oberlin than we did in Miami, which is a giant city. So I definitely think it's a lot easier. And there's people who are already in the mindset of like, okay, let's go, let's go mobile. Like they're waiting to be mobilized for something. Whereas in other places, a lot of times you have to really light a fire under people to get them to get up and go. Yeah, and I think there's, I mean, the general culture that a lot of people sometimes poke fun at at Oberlin is that we just will book our schedules full of everything and try to do everything all the time. And it can be bad, but it also is very good for organizing because literally so many people I talked to who weren't in Sunrise and I was telling them about the strike would just be like, what can I do? Like, everyone wants to do something, even when they don't have the time for it or the energy, they'll do it. <laughs> so I think that's a, a good and a bad thing at Oberlin, but it worked out well for this specific thing. <laughs> we're committing to all things. Yes. That's important. Um, I know that the Committee on Environmental Sustainability, which is like the faculty group, um, put out a statement like supporting the climate march and I know other groups and like professors were also 
it's a part of it, but are there other ways you think the institution itself could more like explicitly um, do like support environmental activism or the work that Sunrise and other um, student organizers are doing? Um, I mean, I think I can speak on this just like from a purely logistical standpoint that a lot of the information on organizing thing these things is like not very clear, um, especially in terms of like stuff we had to get from student union, like forms we had to fill out. Um, it was difficult finding that information a lot of the times. For example, like with booking um, Clark Bandstand in Tappan, um, like looking at it online, it's like it was hard to find those instructions and we thought we had them and like thought we had followed them and then three days before they were saying like, hey, you guys don't have this booked, what are you doing? You have to fill out whatever forms. Um, so that was difficult, like securing tables, especially as an uncharted organization. Um, there are definitely like a lot of difficulties that it's it's kind of unclear. Also just like, we're second years, I've only been here one year and like I have done a few things, but like not of this scale. Um, so I think there's definitely some logistical things that could be more clear. Yeah, definitely. I feel like this whole thing would be easier if there was some sort of resource for, of all, there, it's because it's like there's so many organizers at Overland for so many different things that it almost seems like maybe if there was some sort of resource or person to go to, to like, for just like simple things that can end up taking a long time, like booking tables or things like that, if that was sort of organized a little better into one sort of place to go to, I think that would make things a whole lot easier. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so like, in the end, like, we figured out a lot of stuff we had to do was through student union, and like, we weren't here when whatever student union desk was here, but it <laughs> seems like that would have made stuff easier <laughs> based purely on what other people have said, but I don't know. So, yeah. So pulling together a lot of what we talked about so far, um, I think we've talked sort of on like a governmental level and on an organizational level about um, changes that Sunrise hopes to mobilize in the future. But on an individual level, um, what can people both on and off Oberlin campus do um, either to join the movement or in their personal lives to help curb the climate crisis? Yeah, I mean, there's one thing to look for is that since there are like sunrise hubs all over the country now maybe like you can go on sunrise's website and look for like where hubs are near you so if you're interested in like specifically getting involved in sunrise and more green new deal associated activism that's a good way to get involved and then i guess on a personal level i think one sort of thing that gets sometimes convoluted in like environmental activism is the importance of individual acts because they are important but like something like recycling and using metal straws and those sort of things it's one not always accessible for people and two most of our climate crisis is due to corporations who are the main polluters and there are things you can do as an individual and obviously be best to live as sustainable as you can but i think realizing that supporting like larger movements and act like asking your politicians especially local politicians to take action on things like making calls to your representatives things like that i think that is a lot more important than super individual things yeah um 
yeah, I definitely want to emphasize that, and that's something I mentioned on my speech on Friday. Um, individual actions cannot stop the climate crisis, and I think a lot of the times um, that narrative is pushed to us, and it's kind of like forced, um, and it definitely feels like a way to distract people from you know more tangible forms of action, um, as well as just, for example, when there's a whole thing of people starting to move away from plastic straws and everyone was buying their metal straws. And I remember reading an article that was like, hey, your metal straws are like, the extraction of the metal is damaging the environment in different ways. These are produced with like, um, like, un, what's the word? Whatever, not fair trade labor, essentially. Um, just like, we focus on those individual actions so much and so many of them, even when we're trying to curb them, still have very destructive consequences. Um, I think one, you know, one thing to move away from those um, is even just focusing on education because there's so many misconceptions going around about the Green New Deal um, and about environmental legislation. And I think even just talking to a few people about it um, can have large lasting impacts because it's, you know, like a pebble in the pond, but then there's big ripples. Um, and especially the thing about the Green New Deal, um, because it is, the organizing around it has such an electoral focus, um, that that is something that feels much more tangible, whereas there are things where it's like, if you're just calling for like climate justice now, it can be hard to feel like you're actually doing something about that. But I think that's um, something that's nice about the Green New Deal is that you can look at the representatives of yours that haven't supported it yet and you can vote accordingly and you can tell other people about that and you can work on those, you know, sorts of just small campaigns in your own personal life. Um, you know, I think there's definitely ways to do it from um, an electoral pathway um, that a lot of the times is not very clear, especially in environmental activism. So I think that's also, you know, that's a good way to go. Yeah, and we definitely want to put emphasis on like getting out there and voting, especially for Overland students a lot of us are come from a uh, more liberal like democratic your local representatives at home might be a little more involved in climate like curbing climate change but there's a lot of legislation right now in Ohio that needs to be voted against and we need votes to do that so registering in Ohio if you're from if your if your vote wouldn't make as significant of a difference in your hometown is definitely an important thing that we encourage yeah, on that note, actually, um, I literally came from doing voter registration like an hour ago in front of Stevie. There are going to be people around town registering people to vote. I believe the deadline is October 7th-ish. It's sometime around then, um, which is for local elections, I believe. So if you do want, if you heard all that and you thought, oh man, maybe I should vote in Ohio. Well, luckily, uh, this week and next week, there will be people all around ready to register you. I think, yeah, like both of you were saying, um, it's really clear that Sunrise and maybe also a Citizens Climate Lobby have more sort of political emphasis in terms of their activism as opposed to like past student protests at um, Oberlin like a couple of years ago or in regards to like Ferguson or things like that, um, whereas more like internally locally based. I think it, it's... Um, it's, it's really interesting to see how there's like a focus on legislation and things like that. Um, are there other ways that you think 
sunrise is distinctive? Um, I sort of think that, like, sunrise has a... I haven't memorized all of them, but sunrise has a bunch of sort of ideals behind the the institution or the organization more. And um, it kind of, like, emphasizes the point of, like, collective action and unifying people and bringing them together, as well as hearing voices from marginalized communities and labor organizations that have yet to be heard or listened to historically. So I think that, like, the attempts to just bring as many people involved in this as possible because it is our shared world that is being affected by this sort of makes it not unique because there are a bunch of other amazing organizations that have similar goals, but I think it's something that makes it really special. Yeah, I think um, something else is just the connection that Sunrise has to politicians who are currently in office. Um, Sunrise works closely with the group the Justice Democrats, which is a group that has been electing people, um, including Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who are the people who are in the Senate, in Congress, um, in the House of Representatives, who are much more likely to actually strongly push for those things as opposed to just working on incrementalist policies. Um, so I think there's definitely a strong benefit there in having that direct tie to politicians because for a lot of groups, um, especially those that choose to take more radical um, steps, and also I want to make sure it's clear, like, if you're doing more radical stuff, like, we love you for it, you know, like, this isn't the only way to go, and those, um, you know, the window does have to be pushed somehow, um, but there is definitely, there are definitely benefits um, to having direct connections to those politicians. So I think that um, being in Oberlin, and as Anna, you mentioned, I think a lot of people here also come from liberal places, or a good chunk of the student body does. Um, I think it's sort of easy to get into the mindset that everyone supports climate activism and that everyone believes in climate change, um, but it's obviously a very divisive issue, um, and there are lots of people who don't, both in the government and out of the government. So as climate activists, how do you approach that issue? Do you think that it's most effective to try to change people's minds or to try to work around people who don't have the same values you do, or how have you navigated that? Yeah, I was actually, uh, I was talking to a reporter who went to the climate strike, who is a Lorraine County reporter, and he brought up the exact same point by saying, like, a lot of people, especially in this area, don't believe that climate change is real. And he asked me, like, like what would I say to those people? And I just think, like, especially seeing the personal aspect of climate change is probably the best way, because, like, I don't know at this point how much like, the, the science is there, it's, you can't change that, you can't try to convince someone to believe that, in a way, because it's, that's what people have been trying to do for years and years and years, but I think, like, especially, like, in Faith's speech of how, like, there's, like, physical things, like, people's, like, homes are being, like, the shorelines are decreasing, like, people, forests are on fire, and these things affect real people, and I think people's, like, individual struggles are something that can at least have people feel sympathy and feel like they should support something that they care so deeply about. Yeah, I think there's also a strong distinction between people who um, haven't 
had access to accurate information and who have been kind of like force-fed propaganda and people who have a stake in maintaining the climate crisis like fossil fuel execs and a lot of politicians um i think in like for a lot of politicians there's not much hope in terms of changing their minds because they know what's going on and it's just a matter of how much money's in their wallet but um like my dad is a climate denier which is i literally had like an argument with him as i was actively organizing um back in like january and the thing is he just watches so much fox news and he's just like there's so much misinformation there um but it's not it's it's not like he's like oh i hate the planet it's just a matter of like he literally doesn't read the right stuff a lot of the time um yeah i think it's just like a lot of it is people being told things like, oh, the Green New Deal is going to kill every cow, or like, you won't be able to get a hamburger, you're not going to be able to take a plane. I had a friend who is currently in school training to be a pilot, and I posted something on Instagram about the Green New Deal, and he was like, yeah, I mean, I'd be down, but I want to have a job in 20 years. And I was like, okay, well, here's the thing, you still will. Um, like no one like we're not getting rid of airplanes completely there's just so much misinformation out there that i do think um there is a lot of hope in just giving people accurate information because especially nowadays it's so hard for a lot of people especially older people to be able to distinguish um because people are very insidious in how they disguise that information coming coming up this um spring i guess probably uh March 22nd is, is the 50th anniversary of the first Earth Day that happened in 1970. Um, and so I think like that is a really striking date that in, in many ways like Earth Day was the beginning of environmental activism or at least like the modern American sort of movement that, that really supported that. Um, and that it's still been like 50 years since then and these are, you know, increasingly like damaging and harmful problems that that have yet to be combated has um sunrise or have you thought more about sort of like the historical legacy of the the movement and like where you fit into that spectrum um and how how you think um you can sort of continue to like carry the torch yeah well it kind of reminds me of like because i feel like in especially in american history when we learn about the small portion we learned about uh, climate activism throughout history is I remember like, I can't remember which decade this is specifically, but when scientists said that there was a hole in the ozone layer, this like tangible thing, that's when a huge movement of people like organizing together to end to like force corporations and all to stop using these chemicals that were creating a hole in our ozone layer. And that like sort of tangible thing really helped mobilize people. And then I sort of see that in the UN report that was released about giving us 11 years like this, even though it is a little less tangible because it's like basically like our world is going to be pretty messed up in 11 years and we can't go back. But I think a time limit as well as all these movements of like almost like sort of fear and nervousness for the future is something that like. I feel like will be talked about in history and how all these organizations like Sunrise have come up because people, this new sense of, there's, I think the new sense of urgency that was created from it, like 
there hasn't been that in a while, and I think this is the time. It's here. Yeah. Um, I also think one thing we're seeing in terms of like the history of the environmental movement as a whole is a shift in who's taking the reins. Um, because historically you have people like John Muir, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, M-U-I-R, like Teddy Roosevelt and his um, stuff with conservation, Aldo Leopold. Um, and it's for a long time the movement has just been basically led by white men. Um, and even as they led it still, for example, with Teddy Roosevelt, as he was doing all those conservation efforts, he was actively displacing indigenous peoples within the United States. Um, so I think that's one thing that's definitely a major shift is people are saying like, okay, this hasn't been covering it. Like you haven't been keeping an eye out for everyone. It's you and your trees. We're going to look out for everyone else now. Um, and that's why you're seeing the rise of more youth leadership, especially um, young women of color who are taking the reins with these things because for a long time we just haven't been represented. We're still not represented. Um, and I think it's definitely, if you're looking at it from a historical perspective, I think if, you know, if we get the chance to look back and look at the history books, you're going to see, like, okay, people started saying it's, it's not enough to just, you know, speak for the trees. You have to uplift everyone else as well. So we're starting to come to the end of our time with you all. Thank you so much for joining us this hour. Um, but before we let you go, I want to ask one last question, which is a very broad question, um, and you can answer it however you want. But if we are able to curb the climate crisis and reverse the changes that have happened, what do you think that the world would look like in 50 years, ideally for you, whether that's on an individual scale, global leadership, um, different policies? What would an ideal world look like if all of this activism is successful? Wow, that's a nice thought. Uh, <laughs> I, I guess, like, not just the climate crisis, but a huge part of, like, the Green New Deal and what Sunrise is fighting so hard for is also our inequality in this society. So if we succeeded in curbing the climate crisis, that would also mean that marginalized communities and indigenous groups would be put on equal level footing as everyone else. So I would see like a world of a lot more representation, especially for minorities in government and in work in the workplace and in leadership positions, as well as like a healthy ecosystem with lots of trees, even though that's not what we should focus on, but trees are nice. I do love a so, good tree. Lots of trees. I didn't mean to shade trees earlier. I just think people are good too. Um, yeah, I think definitely the justice side of it, and I would also just, I would hope that we would have a better land ethic and we would, that we would learn not to consume the way that we do, um, and that we would just have like a better relationship with the earth as a whole. Um, yeah, my mom is Costa Rican and I feel like a strong part of like what she taught me about being Costa Rican was literally just like knowing how to live with the earth instead of against the earth and like you know walking around barefoot getting yourself muddy you know let bugs into the house if they're trying to come in like just whatever you know like not trying to fight everything and um I think my hope was that it would be like that everyone would just know how to live a little better with the world that's our home. Yeah, and hopefully our political and economic institutions will realize that consumption isn't 
shouldn't be the objective. It should be based on sustainability and living in harmony with the world rather than using it as a resource. So that's another thing I hope changes. And I hope we wouldn't have to be doing this anymore. <laughs> well, I hope you're both right. Um, thank you both so much for joining us this hour. You've been listening to The Weekly, a production of WOBC 91.5 FM. The show is created by Daniel Marcus and Johan Cavert. This episode was produced by Sarah Dalglish and Johan Cavert. As always, you can find our show on Apple Podcasts and Google Play by searching The Weekly Oberlin. And you can now also listen on the web at www.anchor.fm forward slash the dash weekly. Thanks for listening.